Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, almost here, round the corner of future technology. And I'm here with Rick Neff, uh, the BAM sales manager at Cincinnati, a company that does 3D printing, amongst many other things. How you doing, Rick? I'm doing great. Thanks, Rich. Yeah, thanks for coming. So, uh, first of all, what does BAM, the acronym, stand for, uh, and what, what work do you do at Cincinnati? Well, BAM stands for Big Area Additive Manufacturing, and what that is is it's a giant 3D printer, and uh, uh, I'm the sales manager for BAM, and I uh, was part of the original development of the machine. So when you say it's a, a large 3D printing platform, how big, what kind of, uh, what size objects can you print? Well, um, most 3D printers uh, print things about the size of a shoebox. And uh, our machine, uh, we have two sizes. And the small size has a five and a half by 13 foot build platform. It can build parts up to six feet tall. And then we have a large machine, which has an eight foot by 20 foot build platform that can also build parts six feet tall. Huh. That's crazy. Yeah, you're right. I mean, most uh, applications are small and getting smaller. So what kind of um, things do you guys commonly 3D print at that scale? Well, when we first started looking at the market, um, the technology came from Lockheed Martin, and they were trying to 3D print tooling using an extruder on a robot. And uh, our technology partner, Oak Ridge National Labs, put the same extruder on a gantry system, and were quickly able to print parts. So Lockheed and Oak Ridge were looking for a uh, partner to commercialize the technology, and we had some off-the-shelf drive system that would work very well. So um, we got involved um, to uh, bring BAM to reality. Okay. And, uh, you know, the real application that we were looking, the low-hanging fruit, is tooling for the aerospace market. So what kind of uh, tools will you print and what materials will you use to print in? Um, the, the tools that we first started doing were um, done in ABS plastic, and they were used for um, um, holding and trimming carbon fiber composite materials um, or holding uh, um, different parts to be machined. Uh, today, we've been doing some work uh, not only with Lockheed, but also with Boeing and BASF and Ford and Tecmer, um, kind of in uh, a pretty large collaboration, actually. Um, and uh, what we're looking at is higher temperature materials like PPF, um, which can go in an autoclave at 350 degrees Fahrenheit and uh, 100 PSI and uh, maintain dimensional accuracy with a carbon fiber composite part uh, laid up on the tool. Wow, okay. Yeah, I saw an article um, just talking about the large scale. Uh, I'm not sure if this is real, but I guess in China they're 3D printing uh, foundations of houses and even entire houses. Have you seen anything like that? Well, it's really interesting. The, the technology is being commercialized in China, but um, actually the machine that had the extruder on it at Oak Ridge National Labs that uh, um, we were using as the first BAM 
was used in part of its lifetime to uh, validate printing in concrete and figure out how easy or hard it is to do. And um, so we've done uh, a lot of good work on that uh, in Tennessee already ourselves. So, um, yes, that's possible to do, uh, 3D print a house, and they're, they're doing some really cool things with that. Well, but my really cool thing is, is it at the stage where any, uh, there have been any homes in the U.S. built, or at least the foundations poured with a, uh, a 3D printing mechanism? Um, actually, I think that there have been. Um, you know, there certainly have been things like some uh, play structures and things like that that I've seen done. Mm. Um, and I believe that there are some uh, 3D printed um, houses out of concrete in, uh, in California. Okay. Um, Oak Ridge National Labs also um, 3D printed a house, but they printed it with our machine, with BAM. Right. And uh, the house is a technology demonstrator um, called AMI, which stands for Additive Manufacturing Integrated Energy. Um, that the Department of Energy um, put on, and what uh, Secretary, Assistant Secretary of Energy Dave Danielson wanted to do is uh, come up with a technology demonstrator to get us to think differently about how we use energy. Hmm. And so what we did is we 3D printed a house and a car that worked together um, to integrate how energy was used. And so the car is a natural gas electric hybrid, or the PUV as we call it, the printed utility vehicle. Um, that uh, can run off of natural gas and can use its generator to power the house. This is kind of revolutionary because when you think about it, when you drive a car on the highway, you make about enough energy to power two homes. And then we park our cars for 20-some hours a day and don't use them. So uh, the DOE said, hey, let's think differently about how we use energy and use this natural gas uh, vehicle to power the house. Um, you could also charge the car um, with the uh, solar panels on the house or the, uh, the grid. The house is also hooked up to. Um, but they used about 25,000 pounds of carbon fiber reinforced ABS plastic to print the car in the hood in about a month's time frame. Um, fascinating. And uh, you can go on the Internet and, and look up uh, additive manufactured house, Oak Ridge National Labs, and, uh, and there's great pictures of it. It's beautiful. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, the concept of the car working with the house, both in their individual capacities, is really interesting. Hmm. All right, so um, you would think, I guess, you know, no offense, if, <laughs> at first glance, the, the stuff you make is quote-unquote boring, but actually the applications seem to be pretty exciting. Um, you know, it's, it's like any manufacturing process. If you take a look at the manufacturing process, you might go, well, that's kind of boring, you know, yeah. and, uh, um, you know, a laser cutting system or a press brake like the metal fabricating machinery we've been making for close to 100 years. Um, might not be terribly exciting, but if you look at some of the applications for it, it's really exciting how we really make things in America. Yeah, what, so what are some other applications of what you guys do that you consider to be really interesting or exciting? Um, well, we, we, we have done things like 3D printing houses and cars, and that's been fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and tooling is certainly an application. Uh, we've got a... Uh, a a really good customer, Local Motors, who is revolutionizing the way we look at transportation. Um, they're a technology company that designs, builds, and sells transportation. Yeah, um, spoken to Local Motors, they, uh, uh, Matthew Gunnarsson, I believe, and he, he talked about the Ollie and, and some of the stuff they're working on, yeah. Yeah, and so they're, they're looking at, uh, at BAM to 3D print um, transportation. You know, Ollie, their autonomous passenger vehicle, 
or uh, the swim, their, uh, their, their car that's mostly 3D printed. But um, they're, they're not looking at it just to 3D print the vehicle. They're also looking at it like, you know, we can use it to make tooling to uh, thermoform parts for Ollie or for the car. And so they're, they're looking at how can we um, accelerate the, the rapid um, uh, manufacturing technologies to, uh, to make things differently than we've been making them in the past. Do you think the big play is going to be new, uh, new items or replacement parts for existing items on site? Oh, I, I, um, I think that um, 3D printing is another way of manufacturing things. And there are a lot of things out there that 3D printing could do maybe in the future, but is not really relevant for what we're doing short term. You know, the concept that, that you're never going to go to the store to buy re repair parts for your um, dishwasher again, um, that you're just going to have a 3D printer in your house um, is probably not really um, realistic in the short term. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of the, the parts that might fail in, in, a, in a dryer, for instance, might be a thermal fuse that you can buy for $7 at the parts store that uh, um, would be a very complex part to try and 3D print. So, um, in general, I think that uh, the 3D printing will be used to uh, manufacture short runs of products and uh, prototype products and tooling. Um, until we look at some very special applications, things that can't be made any other way. Um, and GE here in Cincinnati is doing a really good job of uh, 3D printing fuel nozzles in production for their LEAP engine. They're using uh, laser centering technology to, uh, to make what's a very complex part that uh, has to have internal cooling passages and would be extremely difficult to make using any other technology. Mm. Um, and they're they're doing the, the good hard science work behind figuring out how to control the quality of every part um, so that they can actually uh, bolt uh, a handful of these parts into every high performance engine they sell and uh, have them run flawlessly uh, to transport people. So it's really exciting what, what we can do to manufacture some things using 3D printing. Yeah, with, with 3D printing, like you said, you can make objects that would be maybe even impossible to make until now. What other kinds of applications or things that you guys are experimenting with that now you, you, you may feel is possible because of the 3D printing that wasn't before? Um, you know, certainly we see uh, the 3D printing that we've done uh, on automobiles is revolutionizing the way we might prototype a car. Um, maybe not necessarily in production, but uh, our, our friends at Oak Ridge National Labs uh, 3D printed a Shelby Cobra for the uh, North American International Auto Show in Good. 2015. Wow. And in six weeks, they went from the word Cobra to having a finished car that the first day of the auto show, everybody walked by it and didn't even look at it because it looked so good. And we put a sign on it that said 3D printed car about halfway through the first day, and, and everybody came and started mobbing it. You know, it was, uh, it was really interesting how much attention it got. But, uh, um, you know, the, the, the old ways of, of and, uh, um, making the design using clay and, and then maybe, you know, six months or a year or two years later having a drivable prototype, we might actually be able to go right to the drivable prototype um, for, for some of these kinds of things. Pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds like that's definitely where it's headed. That's amazing. Wow. 
How long have you been at this? How long have you been working in the um, in the additive manufacturing space? Well, it's really interesting. Personally, I had an interest in additive manufacturing um, um, back in the '80s, and and was involved uh, a little bit. But um, Cincinnati Incorporated really got involved uh, um, in 2013 when we started working with Oak Ridge National Laboratories. We actually signed our CRADA in February of 2014, which said that we were going to go together and develop a machine. And so really all the work on BAM, the, the main work has been done since February 2014. Yeah, it seems like just like that example with the Shelby Cobra, you hang the 3D printing sign on your business, and now it's a lot more exciting, and it, it, I would guess it attracts more investor attention, and it seems like it's really uh, taking shape most recently in the past few years. Yeah, and it's really interesting because the, the hype curve, as they call it, um, especially in, for investor attention, really peaked out around 2014. And it was really interesting. I was getting um, about one investor call for every sales lead. Um, and, and the bottom line is, is we're a machine tool company. We've been around since 1898. We're one of the few machine tool companies that has survived in the United States. Part of the reason for our survival has been that we've been fairly conservative with the way we run our business because we have a very, you know, the machine tool business is very cyclical. And um, when the economy turns down a bit, people stop buying machine tools because they're not trying to expand their production capability. Mm. So um, we really wouldn't be structured like a high growth company with a lot of debt. We would. Uh, um, tend to structure ourselves to be uh, fairly conservative with fairly low debt so that we can survive um, the ups and downs of the machine tool industry. Um, Do you feel like um, 3D so, printing now is going to open up an avenue for, you know, let's say there is an economic downturn, could you then ramp up your uh, replacement part production and, and carry through that way? you think this will give you another revenue model or a way to carry on? Um, you know, as far as uh, can we um, use our service bureau, because one, one of the things we've, we've been pressed into doing is uh, there, there really aren't a significant number of companies that own our large-scale 3D printer yet, so we are building parts for customers. So that is a revenue stream for us to, uh, to 3D print parts. Um, it's not a huge part of our business, um, but it, it certainly is something that could potentially help us in a downturn. Yeah, um, the thought occurred. That's why. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, as an insider, you know, in the three D printing industry, especially the large end, it seems like everyone's focused on the small, even the micro. Um, any other applications of large three D printing BAM like machines, or any other applications your machine could be used for that it's not being used for yet? Um, there are thousands of applications that it's not being used for that it's not or that it could be used for that it's not being used for yet and out of the thousands of new applications we just don't know what they are yet you know it's it's so new technology it's really fun to take a machine to a trade show because people walk up to it and go wow that's really cool yeah. you can do all kinds of things with it but I don't know what I'd do with it so um you know, if you've got a machine that's a little bit like something that everybody already has, they look at it and go, you know, there's already kind of a a, a model for what you do with it. But um, for a, an all-new technology, um, 
you know, I even showed parts to people from some of the largest service bureaus, people that spend their day 3D printing stuff every day, and they look at the giant parts, and they're just like, wow, that blows my mind. <laughs> you know, it's just a whole different thought process because um, the 3D printing industry just doesn't think that way. Yeah, again, you're on the, yeah, you're thinking big, literally, pun intended, and uh, having some little effects you can see. So you, know, you, you talk about little machines, and the uh, the 3D printing industry has kind of had uh, a set of principles that we've talked about for years that um, that everybody sort of bought into. But when you start looking at a big 3D printer or taking a look at 3D printing from a manufacturing point of view or an industrial point of view, some of the principles just don't make sense. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, the first principle that everybody talks about is complexity is free. And, um, you know, you can look, make some incredibly detailed parts on a 3D printer. And uh, it doesn't matter for a part if it's um, got tiny webs inside or if it's solid. It takes about the same amount of time to print it when you put it in a 3D printer to make it. Mm -hmm. But complexity is not really free. If you look at it, the, the, uh, the industry's had really an arms race to see how small a layer you can have or how smooth a surface condition you can have. And in reality, the smaller the layer you have, the longer it takes to make a part. So a typical metal 3D printer will print a shoebox full of very complex parts in a day or two. Um, and it may cost you a thousand to several thousand dollars per pound for the part. Um, but if we start looking at, uh, at a giant 3D printer and we say, instead of seeing how small a layer we can have, why don't we see how big a layer customers can live with and how fast we can go? So instead of doing a few pounds in a day, what if we do 80 pounds an hour of material? What if we do layers that are a tenth of an inch tall instead of a hundredth of an inch tall? Um, or a thousandth of an inch tall. Let's do big layers. And, you know, with almost all 3D printed parts, they get post-processed somehow. They get finished or sanded or painted. And so with the BAM parts, it's just a little bit larger process that you need. We may machine a part for accuracy or fill in the surface condition to give us a Class A automotive finish. Right. But there's still the post-processing that goes on. Yeah, people don't think about that. You know, 3D printing companies say, well, variety is free. And that may be true if you're picking a part off a of Thingiverse and you're going to print it on your MakerBot. You can print uh, all different kinds of chess pieces. But if you're a manufacturing company, every part you print has engineering effort and time and design effort that goes into it. And there may be thousands of dollars worth of design and modeling and engineering costs in every part. So variety is not always free. Yeah, it's weird. You talk about 3D Printing is zero lead time manufacturing, but, you know, it's like any other manufacturing process. You need to kind of schedule it, you need to program it, and then a part may take, you know, four or five hours a day to print in a printer. So it's not quite zero lead time. Well, yeah, it's interesting in that you're saying because it's, um, everyone puts, puts 3D printing for their magic and instantaneous and, and perfect, and it's... Um, it's still rooted in real-world um, real applications. It's just another form of manufacturing, essentially. So, 
Yeah. So it's really fun to roll up your sleeves with a customer and find out how you can really use it in his application, in his factory to make parts and make him money. Hmm. And uh, not everybody wants to talk about all their applications either. It's interesting. You know, we've had companies who put in machines and they're like, hey, don't tell anybody about what we're doing with this thing because we're making a lot of money with it and we don't want our competitors to figure out what we're doing yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Gotcha. Um, you already partially answered this, but what do you think is realistic now in the next year, in the next five years, and what's fantasy in the 3D printing world? Well, it's really interesting. The fantasy that that um, a lot of people were kind of selling is that you know every household's going to have a 3D printer, and uh, some of the, uh, the the companies that were really pushing that, like 3D Systems, has gotten out of um, the home printer market. And I think that what we're seeing is that we're seeing 3D printing going from almost a novelty um, uh, to print. Uh, plastic parts that aren't durable uh, to now making truly durable parts um, and making parts that are uh, able to be used in production um, that that can really survive um, being used as a uh, as a real real product rather than just a model of something to visualize. Are three D printed parts good enough now to? go into production cars and production um, aviation? Are they that durable? Well, certainly, you know, the fuel nozzles that, that uh, GE is making are durable enough they can go right into the combustion chamber of a jet engine, uh, well, you know, a, a, a multi-million dollar jet engine, and be as reliable as a conventionally made part. Uh, you know, the, some of the plastics and materials and processes are getting good enough um, you know, the original stereo lithography parts that um, Chuck Hall made when we invented 3D printing years ago um, used to joke around that when you 3D printed those parts, you always made three. Um, one was for the customer to break, one was for your boss to break, and the other would break when you just set it on your shelf because they weren't very durable. And now stereo lithography, um, which uses um, photoreactive polymers that are hardened with... Um, typically being exposed to light, um, are, are now uh, able to have all different kinds of chemistry. So you can make parts that are durable. You can make parts that are like rubber or, um, or are flexible. You can make parts that are hard. Um, so uh, there's some really cool stuff being done in every different area of additive manufacturing. So um, where will it go? It's one of those kinds of things where it's like, you know, you kind of got to keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on because you're not really sure what's going to come out in six months or a year. That's true. Um, anything else I should have asked you that uh, we left out? Maybe we covered a lot of interesting ground. <laughs> it was funny. We were talking about innovation and, and what's coming, and uh, I was talking to uh, some fairly high-up people at, um, at the Air Force, and they said, you know, we had the manufacturing age, and we had the digital age. And what they're afraid of is that we're now in the age of surprise. Technology is going so fast that we have new technologies come out that we just don't want to be surprised by stuff. Mm. You know, we want to be ahead of the technology. So 
Um, I look forward to being surprised by new technologies as it comes out over the next year or two and five years. Uh, a very exciting time to be in industry and in manufacturing. Yeah, there's so many things going on, so many different worlds <clears throat> evolving at the same time that it's overwhelming. It's impossible to keep up with it all. And you just hope that, uh, <laughs> I don't know, society can integrate all these things, but it will somehow. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on right now with innovation. And what I'd invite your listeners to think about is that um, anybody can be an innovator. And part of innovation is that everybody has their own unique viewpoint and their own unique experiences. And when we look at things through that lens and you think, hmm, something's not right about this. Let's critically think about it and question it. You can come up with some really cool innovations. And uh, so I invite everybody listening to, uh, to think about how can I innovate? How can I change the way we're doing things in a positive way? Okay. And for people listening that... Um could potentially make use of your BAM machine or your services, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Um, well, uh, you could uh, go to our website, um, www.e-ci.com, and uh, there's a link there where you can request information. Um, or you can, uh, you can email me directly at uh, rick.neff at e-ci.com. And that NEF is N-E-F-F, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, again, great conversation. I love your positivity and the fact that you're going big and thinking big. Uh, that's very unusual so far in the 3D printing space. So, yeah, thanks for taking the time to be here. Hey, Rich, thank you for the opportunity. It was fun talking to you today. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 